0: Hello and welcome to today's Resi podcast. I'm joined by Nick Riley, who is board director at Whittam Cox Architects, by David Reed, who is director at Rowan Asset Management, and Ken Diter, who's the founder and chairman of Urban Catalysts, developing um, very large mixed-use scheme in Imperfly. And Ken, we'll start with you. The project that that you've been working on in the southeast of of england for the last six seven years it's finally coming to fruition now isn't it and and it's a a really good example of one of these left behind places we've heard a lot about over the last three four years throughout the the eu referendum and the subsequent brexit drama people talk about left behind parts of 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 regional england regional uk and what's been your experience of that
1: um it's it's absolutely true. It, it has appeared to be left behind. And in fact, when we had our first public meeting with the local community, it was packed to the rafters. This and
0: is, is thorough. It's next to Thanet, isn't it? So just thoric. tell us tell us where it's it is.
1: Perfectly. perfectly. It's, it's uh, inside the M25, but outside the GLA, which is a meaningful issue because it means that it hasn't got the critical mass of being in uh, Greater London, With with all the benefits that brings, Um, but it is well placed. It's on the River Thames, a kilometre of river frontage, has its own railway station, 27 minutes into Fenchurch Street. But when we had our first meeting with the local community, they'd had 10 years of regeneration schemes that didn't really happen for a variety of reasons and they they were there saying we want something to happen we want something for our kids we want a future and actually that's what we started to deliver in partnership with the local authority was how do we achieve this and how do we build on what we thought was really solid foundation of going forward so providing schools uh, providing an improved infrastructure local amenity plus over 2,800 homes
0: but it's uh, i suppose nick Riley, it it seems that that ken's had a relatively rare experience of everybody wanting him to be there and wanting him to build which isn't always the case is it
2: well i think the, the, the the point about kind of more secondary places coming back into vogue is an interesting one we do a lot of work in sheffield a city which has has always um if you like, been a little bit behind Manchester Leeds and the Birminghams. But you
0: involved with Park Hill, Urban Splashes, one of Urban Splash's signature projects?
2: I think the, the progress we're seeing in sheffield now around regeneration development happening there is is really quite noteworthy and there's a lot of interest now where two three years ago there wasn't so sheffield
0: granges platform platformer there lots of built rent stuff coming through absolutely
2: yeah there's been a lot of student accommodation development and that's now converting more into mixed um, residential living of all different typologies and and you know that that sort of regional story not just exclusive to sheffield but Nottingham, Derby, Leeds, other other sort of northern cities are, are seeing good progress at the moment. It's just maintaining and building on that momentum now.
1: Nick, can I can I ask a question? How much has been the support of the local authority being crucial to achieving this?
2: I think that's a great point. And, and the local authorities that understand the agenda here uh, around the need to have a joined up plan and... Enter into good, effective partnerships in a meaningful way is so critically important to success. A lot of people make good noise, but don't have the ability, the resources, the skills to be able to actually deliver that outcome. So the, the authorities that understand this and can deliver on it, like Manchester have done, and that's always used as a precedent, um, are able to achieve much more intangible terms.
0: But it's always, I think it's the same in every country, isn't it? In many, many, we would argue that it's always the second and third cities in a country that are prepared to be more progressive in how they get stuff done. But let's bring in David Reid. So, David, from your experience in the volume House Builder mm-hmm. Sphere, what, what did that teach you? What, what, have, what are you kind of bringing to play now at, at Rowan that, that you've amassed throughout your previous roles? Yeah,
3: sure. So, uh, so Rowan's best known for commercial investment, Uh, predominantly in London and now we're looking at uh, residential opportunities all over the country really. Um, Previously I'd spent quite a lot of time working with Taylor Wimpey doing sort of mainly high density schemes in a city, uh, Birmingham in particular and um, this was through the financial crisis and uh, you know those regional cities got hit incredibly hard as everybody knows and took a little bit longer to recover than London as an example. I think they have recovered substantially now so Whereas London still is incredibly expensive as a place to live and to work. Um, those regional cities are creeping up in terms of values again. And that's great, which is why we're, we're obviously keen to look at how we can support that. But but, but it's,
0: there is a polarisation, isn't there, between global cities like Birmingham, Manchester, that have got the HSBCs and all the big law firms and yeah. the tech giants going yeah. in, and other places, the places like perfectly places in the southwest that aren't quite so well connected yeah yep. and, and and so how do we reach those that's my question in this called land of brexit britain yeah. how do we make investment flow into places that do need it
3: yeah it's a good question so i suppose the two main ways that the government can support it i suppose infrastructure spending and particularly into schools so if you sort of run through the thread of you know good schools better jobs and then perhaps uh, increased demand for housing which would spread the cost um, or the, uh, the increase in house prices around the country a little more evenly. That would be a good way to start. Um, I mean, it's the same sort of issue that you'd, you'd have in the United States. There's a book called The Smartest Places on Earth which is actually well worth reading which talks about basically the, the, the sort of how brown belt America and particularly other, uh, the equivalent brown belt parts of Europe have suffered but are now massively on the on the rise um the analogy that they give in the book is around cambridge which of course is is a wealthy city in its own right um but i think you see that spread out through into the regions um and it's and you yeah, it's all about having the right infrastructure to allow people to move you know in and out and,
0: and ken diter we, we, david mentioned schools you've done a lot of work with the nhs healthy towns uh network what does that do how is that helping um, are we thinking enough about health and social care people bang on about well-being but but Are we thinking and actually doing enough rather than just talking about it? I
1: don't think the property industry is generally. I mean, I think we are as urban catalysts and probably people around this table are. I think social infrastructure-led development is actually the the future. It's actually how do we get the resources in to create communities. There's a lot of talk about place. What is place? It isn't actually a bunch of houses all being put together. It's about actually how you put together the infrastructure, the houses, the uh, healthy living Mm. environment, the transportation, and create that into... A place whereby the houses can be built and people can live and function effectively. So um, we're we're part of the Healthy New Towns network, uh, which is a very powerful body because it's actually starting to look at actually how do we make communities healthy? And it sounds an easy thing, but actually needs planning from day one. So when we started Perfleet, we did a health audit of Perfleet to look at what were the issues on on the ground with why health wasn't being delivered. Mm. With that, we then started to do focus groups with the community, and actually to see what resources are needed. From that, we approached the CCG to get... uh, What's CCG? It's the uh, local uh, community uh, health group um, that delivers the health services in an area, uh, and, and in this instance, we said to them, look, the resources aren't being delivered in the area to meet the local community. So we're now looking to develop jointly with them a, a integrated medical centre. We're p- providing training for NHS staff. We'll be providing training for NHS staff in the area to address specific needs. But to, actually, we do need to understand what are the needs of the communities before we actually march in with our view of saying, look, here's our grand master plan. Unless we actually understand what the, the economic needs of the community are and the social needs, it, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. The kind of
2: emerging um, narrative around placemaking in its broadest sense and what that is beyond you know, the, the, the sort of traditional sense of a marketing brochure trying to sell a dream. The, the actual meaningful, lasting, impactful placemaking strategies are something that a lot of our PLC clients are very, very focused on. The whole agenda around delivering sustainable urban places for people to live and work and play that, that you know engage properly with local communities from the outset is, is something that we're seeing a lot of and I think we're going to see a lot more play out over the next few years in, in buildings being developed.
3: I think that's right and also uh, just going on from Ken's point there on the NHS Healthy New Towns Network so Professor Sam Malcolm Grant who set it up effectively said something quite interesting which was the fourth I think the fourth largest cost of the NHS at the moment in the UK is housing or poor quality housing I think after sort of smoking, uh, not eating correctly, and not doing enough exercise, and that's not just about you know you know houses that are built poorly and you know poor quality with damp etc. It's about the the mental well-being as well. So the sort of social uh, effects and the cost to the NHS of poor quality housing is absolutely enormous. Hence why this network was set up to try to support better quality housing, as Ken's just said. So it's a it's a it's a serious issue needs to be addressed and obviously the inequality regionally is um, uh, is is part of that problem, um, which I think is partly why that um, UK twenty seventy commission um, has been established to try to address that.
0: And and in terms of I, I suppose in terms of the the planning system, Nick Riley, how does that count this stuff in? How does it? How how is the planning system catering? for the need to be more healthy? You know, how are we prioritizing this and demanding it from places and from designs? What can the architecture profession be doing?
2: It can be doing a lot. I mean, architects, master planners, developers, um, I think are probably slightly ahead on the curve with this than perhaps the planners. It's always easy to be critical of the planning system. um, And I don't necessarily want to do that. There are a lot of good things about our planning system, but um, the education within the system and and how that works through in terms of process is is still a little bit behind the times I think so there's some more work to be done there in terms of working with the local authorities educating them from from the top down really um, not just within the context of of the planning officers but but you know the the whole narrative around city centre master plans and visions and, and how you know different areas of regeneration from a local authority perspective are led and and curated and managed effectively long term um, is a really key part of that and the Mm -hmm. planning system should really you know be an integral plug plug to that process as well
3: just just about in very quickly I don't know how you how you deal with this but as an architect so if you're dealing with one site specifically there's only so much you can do to try to promote wellness health etc to encourage social mobility which is talked a lot about so Um, but if you're master planning an area then you have a much greater chance so i suppose it's to do with your role on the site isn't it as to how well you can influence um the the health benefits impacts and legacy of that site
2: sure scale scale certainly helps and then how you connect different places together is is a key part of that doing Mm. it on a very granular level does present some challenges Mm. um so like you say, you're trying to deal with it, you know, in collaboration with local authorities on, on, on a much larger sort of scale is 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 ultimately going to, you know, yield a better better outcome long term. But yep. how
0: does it work functionally? I mean, is, is localism working? The fact that, you know, we have, obviously, we've, you know, we've got city mayors in, in, in cities like Birmingham and Manchester, but regeneration doesn't happen on a, on a micro basis, does it? It's happening on a regional scale. So... Yeah. Do we not need a return, David Reid, to you know to the the RDAs and all the things that Prescott got rid of?
3: But well, good question. Um, uh, not sure I know how to answer that. I would say that you know we've been dealing with uh, in Birmingham uh, quite a lot recently. I think you know Waheed Nazir, who is uh, is driving that or leading the charge there very significantly. I think he's currently probably the largest house builder in Birmingham. Um, you know, trying to sort of devolve that out and and. And I think they're obviously keen to promote SMEs coming into the city and around the city. Uh, You've seen, obviously, Barclay Homes, who are not an SME, uh, move up towards Birmingham. So it's a good question. Uh, How do you promote that sort of long tail? How do you bring it together? How do you
0: bring people together and make stuff happen?
3: Well, partly it's to do with the finance. I mean, it's the ability, to, to act, the oxygen to actually fund the developments in the first place is absolutely critical to it, as well as the planning. It's obviously this whole sort of plethora of different things that, that impact it. But the finance is certainly more readily available for SMEs today as a result of effectively Homes England coming through and driving. Um, some debt available to them to provide the oxygen so there, there are lots of ways that, that the government has already stepped in which I think over the next five years is very likely to increase the number of SMEs significantly um, that's obviously been a problem for the past 10 years is that that reliance on the volume house builders. I
2: think in, in my experience um, on the point of you know devolved power and, and um, how city regions uh, operate they What seems to be the case is that areas like Birmingham and Manchester, where they are greater areas, but combined into one major city, one major urban centre, have been more successful, where... City regions exist where there's lots of little um, outlying sort of towns or, or, or areas. They get competitive, and then you start to get kind of fallout. So that's that,
0: cannibalism that, between different places. Yeah, you get some challenge there. But
2: also, the, the important thing here is that the local authorities have got an imperative now to really step up because their income profile is 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 diminishing rapidly. Mm. So they've got to think now creatively about how they're going to sustain themselves long term. They've got good land. They need to generate income profiles, so it's not just about selling off assets, but yeah. being vested in, having a vested interest in developments longer term to create income profile for so them.
0: So, Ken Dyes, how do we do that? How do we get more radical regeneration happening?
1: Actually, I'm going to take you back to 2012, 2013, Andy. If you remember, British Property Federation joined up with collaboration with the Local Government Association. To produce the report, "Unlocking Growth Through Partnership," chaired by myself and Samarit Cacal, actually it set out the the uh, framework on which we needed to, to achieve to achieve this growth regionally it's inevitable that the smaller locations will suffer. Therefore, we need to target a hierarchy through which money flows. And it is money-driven. You know, it's about providing the infrastructure. It needs to go to... It goes to ne- regionally, and then we need to ensure that local government delivers that down the line. So there needs to be set in place uh, local delivery structures, uh, partnerships in the local areas around the regional centres to deliver this. Just actually saying, right, we're going to leave you to get on with it is not good enough. And so, therefore, it needs local government working with business to actually set up those structures. And those will vary from place to place. But we need to actually have those proactive Thinking about how does the money flow through, and central government can do a lot because actually at the end of the day, it's the purse strings that make things happen. If they say actually we're going to money to flow through, but it has to flow through in this structure, it will make people sit up and listen. So how should
0: it flow through, David Reed? Because I guess taxpayers would say, why should we be giving you guys loads of money so you can trouser more profits?
3: Yeah, no, that's um, that's a tricky one again to answer. Um, you know. I think there'll be there're going to be a number of changes I think partly Brexit so in terms of regional investment EU structural funds currently play a fairly significant role they're going to need to be replaced in terms of how how significant a role
0: how how significant a role do do they play
3: well I think it's 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 twofold one just in quantum I think it's something like 10 billion pounds over the past sort of six or seven years Uh, that's been committed, which will gradually be phased out. Two, the way that that system's actually, and I don't know enough about it, but the way that that system's weighted, you spend more money on EU structural funds on the the poorer areas. So if you look, the government sort of monitors the way that uh, areas are performing through partly the IMD, the Index of Multiple Deprivation. And those areas that are highest or score... Well, effectively, the lowest on that um, uh, on that index are given greater structural funding from the EU to support themselves. So, put but,
0: simply, the the exiting the EU could could see disproportionate disproportionate hits to the most. Yeah, in-
3: yeah, yeah. That's at the moment. It it looks like that's going to need to be addressed. Otherwise, that will happen. And what the biggest the biggest problem with that is. That, and this, is, this has been the same really since they started monitoring it through the IMD. The poorest ten, perc- or the poorest sort of ten percent, within uh, within the country, regardless of how the government intervenes, always seem to remain within that poorest ten percent bracket. It's very difficult, regardless of government intervention, seemingly to to actually promote these places and boost them up out of that uh, bottom sort of decile. That's the biggest problem they've got at the moment. It's difficult to address that. So they're going to need to start thinking about how they uh, replace the EU funding. I know they already have. There are different funds that have been launched already. Um, But I think my my opinion is, and Boris Johnson's already talked about it recently in terms of, you know, addressing schools. Uh, So social care and schools are his main, I think, at the moment, two of his main policies coming through regionally. Um, And, you know, that will will help.
1: Just going back to the the core point there, getting money into the UK is crucial. And post-Brexit, whether or not what that looks like we need to be making UK competitive compared to other countries. And actually, that's where we need the work of Department of International Trade to come up to the plate. They do a very good promotional, um, promoting UK PLC globally... Um, You go to China, Far East, et cetera, do a tremendous job. But what we need to do is work closely with DIT, what used to be UKTI, to actually ensure those funds flow through into the right places. So that means we need to be working hand in hand with DIT to actually, when they're talking to key people in China, uh, key organisations who are very keen to invest in the UK PLC, particularly given what's happening with America at the moment. They're very keen, and we should be taking advantage of that post-Brexit. There are huge opportunities, but we need to be working with DIT to say where the money should be going, which regions, what areas, infrastructure. And alongside, the British government actually have enormous firepower in terms of infrastructure investment, say, OK, come in here, Chinese investor, sit alongside us. We're going to be investing in this social infrastructure. You can sit alongside us. That's so what you're saying
0: appealing. is that the government would need to play a part in that structure?
1: It's a huge, it's a fundamental part. And they they, they are what playing part? a part. What, of, what, what, they, what? they need to be promoting to make sure... But that not promoting alone isn't going to do the no, job, surely, No, that's, can that's what I was that's just saying. Pie in the sky to no, suggest... No, 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 it's not. So we're talking about promotion, but actually realising, so that they work with the regional authorities the local authorities to actually ensure that there is a plan to deliver down. I talked earlier about the need for a cohesive flowing through of, of, infrastructure, of investment into infrastructure. Mm. Government can do that. It can show the investors that actually this is where we're investing in. Or actually, we, you know, we've we heard talk about the Northern Powerhouse and the linkage there, the, the new connection. Actually say, we're investing in that. You can come in alongside us. Actually, foreign, foreign investors like to see that. If they're investing alongside the British government,
3: they see that as an enormous plus point. And it's 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 important to define what we're talking about in terms of infrastructure, because infrastructure is quite broad. Transport is, is a key um, part of the infrastructure mechanism that needs money spent on it. it, already has money being spent on it, particularly in the north. Um, but I think, you know, we have, we have to define what we're talking about in terms of infrastructure, especially if it's looking to other governments to intervene and to help support it Uh, because only the government is going to deliver transport infrastructure
0: but i mean how nick Riley does that get around the nimby issue because we can build all the schools and all of the railways that we want to but as we've seen recently we're not doing a particularly good job of building any of these things very quickly are we
2: well uh, it's a mixed point to be honest i mean if you look at the amount of house building i drive around the country quite a lot and there's a astronomical amount of house Mm. building happening right now the development of not an astronomical
0: um, amount of train building or railway building though is
2: well (laughs) we've got a very british culture on 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 how we deal with these things and that's very deep rooted but i think we've got to you know map out why what the benefits are in a in its holistic sense and yes there's always going to be impact you know we're very ownership led country in terms of our culture so anything that impacts on what we own people are going to have strong views mm. on and trying to d- generate big big de- um housing Uh, Expansion is always going to be controversial, Mm. but it but it has to happen. There has to be the framework to support that happening. But
3: it's also a good thing that the rights of individuals that own their assets, etc., is protected well, because it's it's very easy to say I'm just going to smash a railway through from Oxford to Cambridge, you know, accompanied by a major road. But a lot of people already live between Oxford and Cambridge, so it is we are definitely culturally perhaps slower than other countries to build major infrastructure and particularly transport. But there is a good reason for that. Um, it 's actually a pretty complicated thing to do to either cpo a load of houses and um, uh, and or remove those individuals uh, living in them, so uh, you know that goes down to sort of basic basic rights so it is it 's a tricky one to answer we do there is a lot of money being spent on infrastructure, but it is complicated to deliver it
0: and uh, where 's the biggest short term opportunities do you think David Reid to move the dial with some of the regions which other places looking beyond the global cities of Birmingham and and Manchester and, and yeah. Leeds and and you know where else is stuff happening and, and what well there, we is, there are there are so many places? great
3: cities in the UK. Um, I would say again this is this is a global city, but um, it's not been mentioned. As in Cardiff yesterday, there's an awful lot of uh, um, development and work being carried out in and around Cardiff. Uh, it took two hours to get there from London, which is you know uh, fairly painless to be honest with you, but in I think by two thousand and twenty it might take an hour and thirty with a slightly shorter um uh, rail link in so it's connecting the cities in amongst them, amongst themselves that will start to benefit um, i I do think at the moment there is an awful lot of investment foreign direct investment going into. Regional cities, not just the, the the leading ones that you've discovered, or leading in terms of size and you know, population, um, but uh, but into those others, and it's going to be pretty critical to make sure that those poorer regions, um, as measured by the government, don't get left behind. And I still think that's investment into schools.
0: And 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 Ken, just just to finish off on that point, so your view there then. Is that these places need to be identified, almost incubated by some, by central government, by by DIT and maybe the Department for Health, if we, you know, if we're seeing that, that Department
1: of a... International Trade, Department of Health, Department of Education, all fundamental. But just going back to regionally, I mean, we've been working very closely in Norwich. Uh, over the last couple of years, working very closely with a very proactive and very strong leadership in Norwich, uh, working with the local uh, uh, University of East Anglia based in Norwich, the Vice Chancellor, looking at innovation about what we can deliver. So all our schemes are actually, as I said earlier, social infrastructure led. There we're looking actually to create a new mini campus as part of a much larger development using the infrastructure investment into education to kickstart a much bigger development but we need the sword of the local authority the local authority are 100 behind it it's fantastic and those are the cities one wants to work in you mentioned cardiff i've just come back from cardiff as well some great opportunities there and actually it's also globally recognized you go you could travel abroad everyone knows cardiff it's got great reputation so it's actually down sometimes to the cities and towns themselves to help promote it and that's, that's really important that you actually choose and work with authorities that are actually up for it and want to make it happen.
0: Excellent. Well, look, some positive thoughts there as we stare down the barrel of Brexit. But thank you very much to Ken Diter from Urban Catalyst, to Nick Riley from Whittam-Cox Architects, and to David Reid from Rowan Asset Management. This has been a podcast for Resi, and I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thank you very much for listening, and stay tuned to propertyweek.com for the latest updates to the agenda.